Welcome back to Home Base Nation, and happy Pride Month to all. June is also, as we know, post-traumatic stress month. It's been a complicated political month, to say the least, in the wake of more mass shootings and, this week, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We do need to remind ourselves during these times that policies and laws are not necessarily rights. Times can and do change, and no matter what, when it comes to service, people who want to deserve to serve their country. Recently around home base, we are speaking with Cliff Brown, home base project manager and U.S. Army veteran. Cliff, who is an out gay man since 2013, told us that a number of people he was in basic training with in 2008 have also since come out as members of the LGBTQ community. He reached out to a few people he knew of, an Army veteran and 911 dispatcher Jade Griffiths agreed to join us for a conversation. Before we get started, a little history. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender people have always served this country. Per a recent RAND Corporation report, 6.1% of the entire military identified as LBGTQ+, a not insignificant minority. And like other minority groups, discrimination and even punishment against this population of people in the military has been going on since the Revolutionary War. Dishonorable discharge for homosexuality was the general approach to how the military handled LGB service members, although there were no official policies enacted until 1949 when the Department of Defense officially placed anti-homosexual regulations across all military branches. In 1960, the first executive order against transgender service members was issued. Of note, it was not until 1973 that homosexuality was removed from the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders that psychiatrists use, as a, quote, psychosexual condition. So in 1993, in what was considered by some policy members as a compromise and a step forward, the don't ask, don't tell policy was made into law. Translation, you can enlist, but only if your LGB identification in service was secret. Don't ask, don't tell was in essence, don't get caught or you'll be kicked out. About midway through the War on Terror in 2011, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was overturned. And although clearly this was a celebrated sign of progress being made, change within the military remained slow. And the LGBTQ plus community, including spouses and family members, continued to face ongoing discrimination. It was in 2016 that President Obama repealed the transgender service ban on the heels of continued work and advocacy from the Surgeon General, the American Medical Association, and the RAND Institute. In 2017, President Trump signed the executive order to ban transgender service members from military service again. And on January 25th, 2021, as one of his first acts as president, President Biden reversed the ban by signing the executive order on enabling all qualified Americans to serve their country in uniform. It was in the same year that President Biden announced that the VA would begin providing those benefits that service members who had been discharged during the 18 years of Don't Ask, Don't Tell had never received. So yes, there's a long history here of legal discrimination against LGBTQ service members and veterans. And it's important to shed light on these issues and share people's stories along the way. I just think it's really important for people to realize just how many LGBT people have influenced the military. From, we, you mentioned the uh, American Revolution. Literally the guy who invented or brought drill and ceremony to the United States Army was gay. 
to like we've had documented transgender soldiers since the Civil War, plenty of cases in World War II and World War One. There's just a lot of evidence of it. And so despite don't ask, don't tell becoming a policy, and then the policy before that was you'd be arrested or worse. Despite all of that, we've always been here, we've always been in the military. So it's just about how we can serve with integrity and authenticity. That's changed, and I think it's really important to allow soldiers to do that, whatever their identity might be. So Lucy, myself, Cliff, and Jade got together on Zoom last week, and it had been 15 years since Cliff and Jade had seen each other. Today, we have the honor of sharing their reunion of sorts to talk about how life was back then and how things are going since the days of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I'm Ron Hirschberg. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Homebase Nation. So I just want to like sort of set our stage. So you and I went to basic training in 2008. It was the summertime. I think we got there in July. It was very hot for me. I don't know if it was for you, but it was disturbingly warm. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And it was, we were under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. We were in, correct me if I'm wrong, Echo 239. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yes. I don't remember what our mascot was. Do you? No. It was like a dog or something, I think. I really don't remember. I don't either. I haven't thought about that in so long. I do not remember. (laughs) I just remember Triple A.O., was how you said yep. everything. Pretty so much. for Ron and Lucy, anytime someone said something to you that was like not a private, uh, you just responded triple A O and that meant I got it and please leave me alone for a lot of reasons. Yes. It's the ninth infantry division from World War II's model it means anything, anytime, anywhere, bar nothing. Yep. Um, basically mean you're willing to do whatever you were just told. No exceptions, go do it. Yeah. So we were there for 11 weeks, I think. A basic training? I thought basic training was nine weeks. But no, we had the two extra weeks of like reception and just torture. Yeah. <laughs> Bonus torture. It was yeah, it was it was rough. Yeah. Um basic training's never fun for anybody. I've heard rumors that it's gotten easier. I don't know if I believe that. Hey, they have stress cards and stuff. That's crazy. I don't know if that's true, but um what I remember about basic training was uh how big spiders can get. And uh, how fire ants will ruin your life very quickly. I still have scars from fire ants because of uh, South Carolina. Yeah, I got a couple too. Yeah. Do you have any memories of basic training? Yeah, I have a couple. Um, I remember fire nights in reception, fire nights in basic. I remember getting woken up in the middle of the night and having to sleep at attention in full battle rattle. That was fun. For like two Um, weeks that lasted. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I remember my 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 platoon. We never got a um. We got our name taken for a while and our color. We were just the, the white platoon for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ron and Lucy, full battle rattle means you're in every piece of TA fifty military equipment that you own. It's on your body, and if my memory serves me right, which it does, uh, we were forced to. I think we were removed from our barracks and put into a classroom. And we had to sleep at the position of attention for an hour. Half, half oh, of they pulled you guys out to your barracks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, they pulled our beds out and everything. We weren't. We never Wait a anything. second. Hold on. Standing and trying to No. Sleep. So you're No, we were laying down. Oh. Yeah. But you're in the position of attention. They let us stay in our beds, though. They were and nice to go. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Weren't nice to us. Sorry. And uh, we would sleep for an hour. Half of us would sleep. And then every other hour you were trading off sleeping. Mm-hmm. Sleep for an hour, standing at the position of attention for an hour, oh, sleeping for an hour. And that went on for weeks. So and I remember one night, one night I was being woken up by someone to say, Hey, we got to swap. And I was like, look, I can't do this anymore. Like I just need more sleep. I can't do this. I don't know if I stay to sleep, but I was on autopilot for sure during that. It's all a mental game. So like many conversations these days, we met over Zoom. Jade was in Maryland. Cliff was in Mass. And again, the first time seeing each other since the days of basic training in 2008. Lucy and I wondered, what was this like for them? I've never I, I've never heard your story, obviously, Cliff, before. So it's pretty interesting to hear like the difference. It's, it's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, no, I, I was I wanted to know that, like, first of all, what is it like to just sort of see each other now? I mean, I, I don't know if you knew each other that well at the time, but you certainly saw each other, right? Or knew that each other yeah. were di- different it, platoons, right? Or It's pretty cool. Honestly, it's pretty cool. Yeah, we, we didn't really get to talk to each other at basic. We wouldn't have the opportunity. We were in different platoons and then also different genders. So mm-hmm. those two things sort of isolate you to, from each other, right? Um, but yes. I, if my memory serves me correctly, your platoon was like right next to my platoon in formation. Yep, I was second platoon. Yeah, and I think I was first. And so ours were, it was like a, I don't know, the bays went like this and two platoons lined up here and then the two others lined up here. And because of that, you end up closer to the platoon that you're like next to. I don't know why. Uh, you just do. But yeah, it's uh, a little surreal. I mean, I've seen you on Facebook, and I think that we've been able to, even if we don't interact with each other that often, you get... We kind of follow each other. Yeah, you get glimpses of people's lives. Under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, fear, secrecy, and hiding were the experiences for so many people. There was ongoing fear of being caught or outed because of the way a person acted, looked, or spoke, as well as how people in the outside world were communicating with them. And then when you throw into the fact that we were like closeted in this experience, along with a bunch of other people. We weren't alone. It was 2008. So George Bush was president. Don't ask, don't tell was the law of the land. I don't know what your thoughts on that are, but it was pretty stressful. It was stressful. I had to reiterate many times, do not write anything on the envelope. I will get in trouble. <laughs> like, it was a day when like, you had the gel pens and like everyone wanted to write all cute messages and stuff on the envelopes and hearts and stuff. I'm like, yo, please don't do it. Wait, can you explain that? Tell, tell me more about that, the hearts on the envelope. So when you get mail, um, the drill sergeant, they'll look at your mail. So if some people, like their family, would write stuff on messages on the envelopes and they'll read it out loud. If, it's, if it was anything that was deemed like girly or anything that would clearly show like a violation of don't ask, don't tell, like you either had to do like a whole bunch of like push-ups. They call it, they call it, um, uh, what, what was it called, Cliff? Incline push-ups. Is what I remember yes. having to do. Mountain climbers and all that stuff and going to the zoo. Yeah. It, was, it was torture. Um, so I remember talking to my girlfriend at the time. I'm like, listen, please don't write anything on the envelope. Just put my name, make it a regular black or blue ink. Like, just make it a regular envelope, a regular letter. And I used to hide underneath, like, my mattress and, like, the little slat thing. Talk about hiding. My gosh. Mm-hmm. They would just read your letters, too. So every piece of mail you got, two things happened. It was thrown at you number one. And then number two is you had to do like 10 or 20 push-ups for every piece of mail. 
And if there was like cutesy lettering, like uh, Jade mentioned, uh, they weren't afraid to just open it and read it in front of everybody. Yeah, I know. I didn't have any any read any read out loud. Thank God, because I probably would have been a lot more trouble than I already was. Right? <laughs> You're always in trouble at basic, you know. <laughs> but we did have one like fellow trainee who was uh, more flamboyant, I would say. So he was yes. like very he's still in big things. Yeah, he's still in the military. Yeah, I think he's like an E seven now, maybe a sergeant first class. I'm proud of him. Yeah, but he was very flamboyant. He used to get in trouble for you know, acting gay regularly, you know, I remember like day one, we were in a classroom and he was like, they thought he was plucking his eyebrows. And so he had to do like wall sits for like 30 minutes. They got him for everything that wasn't considered masculine. So like standing parade pretty, which is when your hip cocks out his walk, his talk, his everything he got yelled at for. Everything. Jade, you said something interesting. Um, that's already telling me a little bit about his character. I mean, you said he didn't care. He didn't. <laughs> He's going to be himself regardless. Yeah. Facts. It was uh, honestly probably like at that time, one of the bravest things I've ever seen. Yeah. What was that like to observe that in that setting when you were also looking at your mail and saying, oh my God, I hope there's not a heart on my mail and you're trying and you're keeping things, keeping things under wraps. It was nerve wracking because it's like, you don't want the other person to feel as if they're being kept a secret. But at the same time, it's like, it'll make your life harder where you are in that moment. Cause like you're enclosed in like a bubble, like you live, sleep, eat, breathe. Everything is like army at that point. Cause you're in basic, everything is cut off from you. A couple of minutes, a couple of times you get like anything from home is either a letter or like a random phone call. So you don't want allow, you don't want anything to kind of come and mess up what you're doing every day, 24, seven hours a day. But at the same time, you still want your loved ones to know that, like, you do still care. So for me, it was nerve-wracking. For me, like, uh, he gave me a lot of coverage. Like, I got to hide easier because of him. Hmm. Took the attention away. So, like, when you're closeted and not allowed to let anyone know, you're thinking about the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you you look at people, who you're looking at, all those things um, are constantly on your mind not to do. And um, he didn't care. He was just going to do him, which is honestly great. Um, but I wasn't brave enough to do that. So I just hid. I played the hiding game, which worked in the, the temporary, I would say. So we wanted to step back and learn more about Cliff and Jade's roads to enlistment and what it was like to sign up to serve during that time of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Yeah, when when you sign up, you have to say that you're not gay. At that time, I don't know. This, I don't, I'm assuming you don't anymore. But at that time, you had to... Like initial next to the block, I'm not gay. And, and that's how you got in. So it was 2007. The, there was a recession. Times are tough. You know? Um, I joined this 2008. I literally joined because, honestly, I didn't have another option after high school. It was either stay home in the household I was living in or it was, that was it. I didn't have the option to, like, get a job or go to school. Like, I didn't have that type of family growing up who didn't allow me to do stuff like that. So... The military was my way out. It was my way to escape and kind of branch out on my own, make something of myself. So when I signed next to the box, it was out of necessity. Not that I was trying to like cover myself or like keep myself in the closet. But at that time, it was just the easiest thing to do. And aside from signing forms, from checking no to that question, what was their personal experience before and after this time? Did you come out years before you were 17 or was it all happening around the same time? 
So to my friends, they pretty much all knew, like high school, like 14, 15. But like to my family, of course, you know, like the older ones, they say, oh, we already knew. But like when it officially is a thing, like I grew up in a Jamaican household. That's not exactly praised in our household. It's definitely frowned upon. So when that finally happened, and actually happened a couple months after I got out and it was a whole big blow up at my household. And that's actually when I left that household permanently. So. Oh. It was it was a it was a big deal in and out of the military for me at that time. So regardless of the military, it was like don't ask, don't tell within your own house. Basically. Yeah. Oh man. Did you feel relief when it was out eventually? I guess. It's like my point was proven. Because it was more it wasn't like a situation like I came, I was like, hey, this is what's going on. It was legit. It came out because I was trying to prove a point. So my poem was proven when I no longer lived there. <laughs> so it was one of those things that was really harder at that moment, like starting right then. So it was all good though. It was it worked out. You got an amazing attitude. And it sounds like I mean I want to get into this a little bit too about somehow how you're shaped. And again, thanks for telling us your story. I mean, Cliff, what about what about you with thinking back to that in the, you know, you're about to sign, you're you're literally signing but you're also checking the box. I'm not gay. And what was, do you remember what was going on around that time? Yeah. I mean, I was a senior in high school. Uh, I went to a tech school for carpentry. So I thought I was going to join a trade. And um, right around that time, the trade careers all kind of collapsed. You know, there were just none. Everyone was getting laid off. So as an apprentice or whatever you might be, there was just no chance of getting a job. Uh, my best friend joined the military and I thought to myself, sounds like a good idea. So I also signed my name next to that. I'm not gay thing. And at the time, I think I believed it. I didn't come out until 2013. So a couple of years after don't ask, don't tell was uh, overturned. So basic training lasted 11 weeks in 2008 and seemed to feel a lot longer than that to both Cliff and Jade. As we got to know more about their military and civilian lives post-basic, they were both reminiscing and getting to know each other a little more. I went to Fort Sam Houston. I was a 68 Whiskey Social Combat Medic. I actually, at the end of basic training, actually ended up getting sick. We, um, With that last FTX we did, I woke up in a pool of water one night or one morning, ended up with pneumonia, and it developed into asthma. So in the process of me doing AIT, we realized I had asthma, so I then became non-deployable. As a combat medic, you need to be deployable. That's a necessity. And then I had also ended up getting hurt at one point as well, like just during random a random training exercise. So it was one of those things where the military was like, well, listen, you have asthma. We can't deploy you anyway, so we're going to med board you out. So I only ended, up ended, only ended up doing an act like a year. But after I went to AIT, what I can tell you is it's like the don't ask, don't tell. It was there, but they didn't take it as seriously as they did when we was in basic. Like I remember one man, I forget his name. But he went to the sergeant literally twice a week and told him that he was gay and he wanted to leave. And the guy was just like, yeah, no, you're not going anywhere. Like, just go back, go back to formation. So it really wasn't as big of a deal from what I saw, like my personal experience. But yeah, I think basic training was really like the worst of it when it came to doing next on. So I got in a lot of trouble. But Cliff, where'd you end up? So after I went to Fort Huachuca, which was 36 uh, weeks of training training, post-basic training. So you do your 11 weeks. We got on a bus and arrived at Fort Chica the next day or plane. I don't know. I don't remember how we got there, but, um, and then you have 36 more weeks. 
And um, it was weird because it's the end of 2008 and George Bush was leaving office. And at some point it became pretty clear that uh, President Obama was going to take office. And with that came like a renewed hope of like policies like don't ask, don't tell sort of going away. And what I can say from my AIT experience is that I had another person that I, I use as like to hide from. They're actually a, uh, a non-binary trans person. I don't know the actual title that they have applied to themselves, but they, uh, at the time they weren't afraid to like, you're in like a dormitory experience. So you have your own room and they, on the weekends when we had free time with, it was not uncommon for them to be wearing like femme presenting clothing. Um, which was pretty like a big step for I think anyone in the military and they would get harassed for it. I remember one like night, a drunk person attacked them in our barracks, things like that weren't uncommon to see, unfortunately. Um, and then after AIT, I went into um, the 26th maneuver enhancement brigade out of Massachusetts deployed to Afghanistan with them. And while I was deployed, don't ask, don't tell was uh, overturned. And then I joined the infantry uh, as an analyst, not as an infantryman, where I spent nine years until the last a couple of years ago. So I've been in for a little bit. So as we know, it's been 11 years since the overturning of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So how has it been like for both Cliff and Jade in real time, during their service, and in the context of their own life? I was lucky when I was in the MED, uh, the 26th Maneuver Enhancement Brigade. It was a much higher ranking group, and they're mostly from Massachusetts, which means they're mostly socially liberal, but it was more accepting. And then the day I went to the infantry, literally day one, I was in formation and the first sergeant said, uh, hey, we're having a ball. And this was after Don't Ask, Don't Tell was a return. He said, hey, we're having a military ball. You should all come. You should all bring your wives or girlfriends. It was all male at the time as well. Uh, and he said, but if you're gay, don't bring a guy. Don't embarrass us like that. He said it in much more like nastier words than I would say. But it was day one, and I was like, oh, okay. He, he promoted me to sergeant the next day, so <laughs> checks on him. Checking that box. I'm not gay. Yeah. And, and that, honestly, and I knew I wasn't the only gay person in that formation. There was a few others. I didn't know them at the time, but I know them now. And uh, we all sort of just, like, took note of it and was like, got it. This isn't a safe place to be out, so we're not out right now. Uh, it wasn't for a few years after that until someone came out for the first time. It wasn't me. I came out in my personal life in 2013. Uh, in the military, it took, I didn't tell anyone until 2017. And then even still, it took a long time before I started like expressing things on Facebook and things like that. Yeah. So, so Don't Ask, Don't Tell gets repealed in 2011, right? So it's been 11 years. I mean, Jade, what do you remember that time? Was it, how did that impact you and your community, your friends, your you know partner? What was that like? So it was one of those situations when like it came out and everybody found out about it. Everybody was looking at me like, so what happened? Like what happens? Like no one really knew about it. This seemed like in my personal life of what that actually entailed. And when I started explaining, like, listen, I could have gotten in like serious trouble. Like my ex, well, she was my ex then by that point. We basically had a chance to have a conversation about like the reasons why I was telling her not to do certain things, like as far as the letters and all that stuff. So she finally kind of like understood and she like was like, well, I didn't realize it was like that big of a deal that no one seemed to realize like how important it really was to 
not be outed while you're in the military. It was a pretty big deal. Yeah, my personal life was a pretty big deal. When the policy was repealed, there was celebration outside the military. Many thought that there would be celebration within the military as well, thinking perhaps there would be immediate relief within the military LGBTQ plus community. But as we've highlighted, change can be very slow, and this was not always the case. I remember I was in I was in Afghanistan when it happened. And I remember there were two big events while we were in Afghanistan. One, Osama bin Laden was captured and killed. And then two, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was overturned. And both of them, I remember sitting in the chow hall and seeing it on TV and the news and people having conversations about it. Those were like the two big events. And um, no, like you think from watching it on the news that people were just like raising their hands and going, hey, I'm gay. And then I'm gay. And like, you know, like one of those high school graduation comedies where everyone stands up and is like, I'm gay too. It just didn't happen that way. No one raised their hand. I think there was like one viral video of someone calling his dad and letting him know because it was finally safe to tell his dad. But it took years before people really started like trusting it. And then that came through policy change mostly. So big army pushed down policies that would punish people for being uh, anti-LGBT. Because at the time, it was still acceptable to be bigoted. It was literally acceptable in policy that someone could discriminate against you because you were LGBT. So that change of policy had to come first. The two didn't quite align with each other. And then gay marriage wasn't allowed either. So it took a few more things to happen before people started uh, being more open. I think what we've learned is that it's not a stable right, you know. And as Cliff says, despite overall progress, there is always instability in policy. Rights are not stable. And so we asked about when President Trump tweeted about reinstating the transgender service members ban in 2017 and how they felt about it at the time. It was pretty bad. So I was on my second deployment when that happened. And uh, before, in the months leading up to that, uh, trans acceptance was starting to be widely approved of in the military for educational purposes. So I remember I was in a classroom with a, uh, a bunch of people from all over the country in Egypt. Um, and we had someone come in from Big Army to teach us about like proper pronouns, um, how being trans is going to work while also being in the military, and how like we as soldiers need to react to that. And like there was this E6 from like, I don't know, like Mississippi or something. And she like rose her hand and she said, if I have to be near a trans person, that's um, I think she called it sexual assault, just plain, plain as day. And the instructor was like, well, he was like trying to be like, it is what it is. He didn't like defend the trans people mm. or the, you know, trans soldiers. Um, and I got into like a very heated argument with this person. By that point, I sort of made it known where my line was and my unit knew. And they like, we were probably all waiting for me to like say something like, oh, here it goes. And it, it did come until someone like stopped me from talking. But a month later, Trump did his tweet. and. You know, it got bad. It got real bad. You remember that, Jade? That time? Yeah, I remember it. It was quite the scandal. Like, I know I have battle buddies that are trans. They're no longer in, but, like, everyone was in an uproar. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. I don't think I've ever been in a military unit where there wasn't a trans person. And we've talked about this, Cliff. I mean, the trans community has a higher percentage of people that enlist than cisgender. Yeah, uh, it's something like 20 to 25% of trans people have served in the military. Mm -hmm. 
versus a much lower percentage of cisgender people. Let's really let's get our like wrap our head around that. That's amazing. Yeah. So that stat that Cliff highlights comes from a 2013 study called Still Serving in Silence, Transgender Service Members and Veterans in the National Transgender Discrimination Survey by Jack Harrison Quintana. At this point in our conversation, we wanted to take a moment to ask Jade and Cliff about their own sense of strength and resilience. How had everything they'd been going through impact who they are today? Honestly, when I go through something that I might feel like I can't make it, I know it sounds really corny, but legit, I'm just like, yo, you did this when you were like 17. Like, you can get through that. You can get through this. You went through basic. You joined the military. Like, you did what everyone thought you couldn't do. Like, you can do this. And it really keeps me going. So, I know that probably sounds really cliche and corny, but (laughs) that's really what works for me. Yeah, I think it's really important, too, because there's the statistics around mental health and veterans is poor. And the statistics around mental health and LGBT members is poor. And that combination is even worse. So it's, it's an important message. Even through the struggles and discrimination, both Cliff and Jade are very proud of their past and continued service and their times in the military. People who choose to serve the public will often do so their entire lives in one way or another. It's just part of who they are. We asked Jade and Cliff to talk more about this, and their answers really give the concept of pride a more complex and special meaning. I feel like, to a certain extent, like, I never stopped serving. Like, yeah, I wasn't in the military, but I've always done some type of job where, like, I've been a service to somebody. So, like, and I went through all different types of jobs when I got out. <laughs> but, like, for the most part, all of my jobs are always something that I'm helping somebody. It's always either customer service or, like, I was a mail carrier for a while. Like, now I'm a 911 dispatcher. So, like, it's just, the military definitely instilled the discipline to maintain, but, like, always help in some way. So, I um. Every male in my family who could serve has served, every single one, barring like disability or something. Um, And so like the idea of service was never actually like talked about in our home, but everyone did it. So it was sort of um, what you did, right? My younger brother's actually on a deployment right now. And I think about like, we all serve for like very different reasons. In my case, it was, what am I going to do after high school? There was a pretty active war going on. I should sign up. Everyone else was doing it. Sort of all fell in that category. And over the years, my like relationship with the military has not been like a smooth ride. It's gone. It's had like peaks. It's had valleys. It's ups, downs, whatever you want to call it. It's been rough. And like there was a point in 2018, I would say, where it was like destroyed. My I was done. I didn't identify to people as a soldier anymore or a veteran. I stopped telling people that. Because it was just, it became so negative for a little while. And then I don't know what happened, but I had a few, I got to see like a few breakthroughs where leaders in old units of mine who were traditionally like not LGBT pro or pro LGBT were coming out in support. Uh, And I think that slowly started like me, started to get me back into the military mindset and being like appreciative of my identity as a veteran, that and a a whole lot of therapy to say the least. Yeah. So like, it's a, it's a relationship that hasn't ended yet. I would say my relationship to why I serve, 
And it's a relationship that I don't know what it's going to be in a year or two years. But I know right now I am pretty proud of myself for my service. I don't know when it's going to be over, but we'll see. Another thing to be proud of that the walk they've walked and the experiences they've had during this roller coaster ride of military service can be channeled into mentorship and into teaching future generations interested in joining the armed services in hopes of continuing to make the world a little better and a more accepting place. Let's think about what are our messages here? What do we want to tell the kids? What do we want, like, the you know, the next generation and just sort of like, what do we learn from all this stuff? I think that like every time I see someone in the military who is expressively themselves and you can just tell that they're LGBT, um, it like warms my heart a little bit. It just feels like, oh, I'm so glad they get to do that. They get to have that experience because so many people before us, before me, before Jade had a very different experience and Mm -hmm. gave up a lot. You know, they were discharged dishonorably. A lot of like Harvey Milk was got an other than honorable discharge from the Navy for being gay. Now he's got a ship named after him. You know, there's a lot of progress made because of people like that, that finally today, people to be more open and expressive and it's wonderful. Just be yourself. Like, yeah, it's scary to jump out there and just be whoever it is you are. Just do it. Don't be afraid to take the leap. Thank you to U.S. Army veterans Jade Griffiths and Cliff Brown for your service, for your ongoing work helping others, and for being willing to share your story with us. These years of discrimination against LGBTQ service members probably felt like an eternity for the many who had to hide who they were continuing to serve their country. And like all periods of struggle for equal rights and positive change, you do need to look backwards to look ahead. In the context of mental health statistics for veterans as a whole, it's a clear theme that overall we see more trauma, more depression, and even suicide rates higher in the LGBTQ population. So acceptance, integration, and support are all part of the solution. But speaking up and getting help is always the right thing to do, no matter what. We know there's still work to do as we look back on the time of Don't Ask, Don't Tell and the trans ban. And we hope we are on a continued path towards acceptance and greater equity and a path towards cementing the rights for all who have the calling to serve, have the ability to do so. Homebase Nation is the official podcast for the Homebase program for veterans and military families. Please listen and follow us on Apple, iHeart, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Homebase on social media at Homebase Program. This episode was produced, edited, and engineered by Lucy Little. I'm Ron Hirschberg. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.